Hello and welcome. Today I'll be sharing a conversation I had with Shirley DeMerchant. Shirley was ordained in 1998. She has served at Hosanna Presbyterian Church in South Korea and has been senior pastor at Stevens Road United Baptist Church in Dartmouth. Shirley talks about her experience working overseas, the importance of team ministry, and how she has avoided making gender a divisive issue in church. I'm Shirley DeMerchant. I was born in 1960 in Perth, New Brunswick. I grew up in the United Church of Canada. So I grew up in a church that that had female ministers, but it was a very tiny church. There was no Sunday school. So my parents sent me to the Baptist Sunday school. So when I was a teenager, I'd want to go to the Baptist church. I met a lot of other Christians. And through them, I found out about the Atlantic Baptist College. And at first I thought, you know, I don't know if I want to go to a Baptist college. (laughs) And my mother wasn't too keen on it. She would say, but you know, those Baptists don't believe in women. Um, There was a constant dilemma. Should I stay in the United Church that was open to women? But my theology, I just felt I didn't, I wasn't moved by their preaching. And sometimes I felt that for some, some of the ministers I met, it seemed to be a job rather than a calling. I was more in line with the theology of the Baptist church, but I wondered if I really want to go into the Baptist denomination where it's probably going to be a struggle. I wrote to um, a leader in the United Church, and I particularly wanted to find out like, why the United Church said yes and the Baptist church said no. And she was very gracious in responding. I really felt her response indicated that it should be an equal opportunity. The pastoral ministry should be open to anybody. And I wasn't satisfied with that. For me, the question was, was it biblical? Because with the, uh, the influence of the Baptist church, it wasn't biblical. And yet I struggled with this, with this sense of calling at a very young age. There were some women who really felt that they were there to prove that women were as good as men. No, women were better than men. And the pulpit was one place to prove it. And I just found that really offensive. When I saw that, I determined that I was not going to make my gender an issue. I'm not a competitive person. If God wants me in ministry, he's going to have to open up the opportunities because I'm not going to go pounding on doors saying, because I'm a woman and the Bible says women can do this, I should be in the pulpit. If there were going to be any conflicts in ministry, I didn't want it to be because of gender. I can't do anything about my gender. To me, that was an important test, just because I'd heard of some of the really bad experiences some women had had in ministry. And like, if a church doesn't want me, I don't want to be there. Like, ministry is hard enough when you have the support of the people, that when you don't have the support, it's a really hard way to start. So I went to Acadia University to finish my BA, because I really wasn't sure where I was heading as far as a career. When I was at ABC, I did write in my journal, Lord, are you calling me into full-time Christian ministry? It took a long time to get an answer to that question. And I remember appearing before the Board of Ministerial Standards. First-year students meet with them, and then before you graduate, you meet with them. And one of the questions they always ask is, tell us what you're called to do. Where are you heading? And all I could say was, I'm called to be here. I went to Acadia from 80 to 82, and then 83 to 85 ADC. So I graduated in 85. Um, and just before I graduated, I got a phone call 
from um, University Christian Fellowship um, asking if I'd consider being a staff worker in St. John's, Newfoundland. I thought, great. Um, I had gone to Urbana. Urbana is a major missions conference. And there was a mission organization I wanted to check out. I went, I talked with them. And I was so disappointed when they said, we can't take you until you pay off your student loan. So going overseas didn't look like it would happen anytime soon. Well, went to St. John's Newfoundland for three years, had to raise my own support, end up coming back to Nova Scotia because we realized it's just not sustainable. And a job opportunity came out to be Christian Education Director at Stevens Road United Baptist Church in Dartmouth. I was CE Director there 1989 to 92. Then I stopped working in that role, but continued to attend the church. And the senior pastor there was a good friend. His name was Don Kraus. He wanted to serve in the military as a chaplain in Bosnia for six months. And so he called me into his office and said, look, um, I have a chance to go to Bosnia. Uh, I want to bring it up to the church. Would you be willing to fill in for me as interim pastor? And I said, uh, sure, because it was only going to be six months. So I said, okay, but it has to be unanimous. I'm not going to let the issue of gender be, be an issue. Everyone must be in agreement that this is a good idea. So it went before the church, and it probably helped that there weren't many other options <laughs> because it was only six months. This pastor was going to come back and fill the same position he had before. And the church knew me as you know, CE director. And so we agreed that I'd be the interim senior pastor for six months. And it was a tremendous experience. I really felt that if I had tried to fail, the church just would not let me fail. Like we were all in this together. And our goal was just let's keep the church doors open until this man comes back. But what happened in that time was something I had been wanting to happen. I had both men and women take me aside during those six months and say, you really should find a church to pastor because you have gifts for pastoral ministry. That meant so much to me because something that I've really developed over the years is a sense that the importance of the body, affirmation by the body of Christ, by the local congregation. And so I decided when I graduated from Acadia Divinity College, I wasn't going to seek ordination because I wanted that affirmation from other people. We don't see ourselves the way others see us. And so when the senior pastor came back, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to put my name out there to pastor a church. So I contacted the area minister and I, I didn't get one interview. Talk about confusing. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I, had to, I had to pay bills. Uh, my student loan was still a concern, uh, but nothing, absolutely nothing came up. So I found out about teaching English overseas. And I thought, you know what? If I taught English overseas, I could probably make enough money in one year to pay off my student loan. And then I can go back to the mission organization. And I ended up getting a contract from South Korea. I thought, I'll go overseas for a year. So I signed this contract to teach English in South Korea. Went to South Korea, stayed there for over 10 years. I was there from 96 to 2007. In South Korea, I found many opportunities to do ministry. And I decided a long time before this, I don't need to be ordained to do ministry. I don't need anyone's permission to do ministry. So I'll do ministry wherever. 
So I was in South Korea about um, six weeks attending a Korean church that had an English worship service called Hosanna Presbyterian Church. And after six weeks, the missionary in charge was um, in another country, had a heart attack, and someone needed to, to take his place at the English worship service. And because I, I had theological training, the church said, would you do it? So I, I preached in Korea for, for almost all of those 10 years that I was there. By the time I had left um, Korea, that church had grown to 13,000 people. They built a church with a parking lot that had three levels of underground parking. They had services in five different languages besides Korean. They had dawn prayer meetings. So dawn prayer meeting would start at 5 a.m. People would come at 5 a.m. to church, showered, shampooed, and suited up for a 10-hour workday. People would run past you on the sidewalk to get a good seat in the church at 5 a.m. And the pastor wanted people, invited people, if they wanted to be prayed for, to come up on the platform and kneel and the pastors would pray for them. And he's saying this in Korean, I'm not following it. Then I hear him say, and you too, Shirley. He wanted me to join the pastors and praying for people. Well, okay, I'm praying in English because my Korean was very poor. And after doing it once or twice, I stopped doing it. When someone asked me why I stopped praying for the Koreans, I said, I can only pray in English. They should have someone pray for them in Korean. And one of them said, Shirley, most of our pastors pray in tongues anyway. <laughs> the senior pastor it was just amazing. And his name was Pastor Cho. <laughs> I couldn't communicate very well with him. And I was the only person on staff who couldn't speak Korean. He had such a vision. Like he, he wanted to develop the church's ministry to handicapped people. So he hired a pastor who is physically handicapped. He wanted to develop a ministry to seniors. So he hired a pastor who was a senior citizen. And he wanted me on staff because I was a native English speaker. Koreans told me later that one of the reasons he wanted me on staff was to help open the eyes of the congregation to women in pastoral ministry. A couple, couple men attending wanted to be baptized. Well, only the senior pastor in the Korean church did baptisms. So I went to the senior pastor and I said, can I baptize these two men? And his question was, in Canada, would you be able to baptize? I said, yes. Okay. Same for doing communion, even for weddings. So because the church in Canada would allow me in Canada, his attitude was, oh, okay, I guess you can do it here. The Koreans found that really fascinating to see a woman doing things that only they saw a male pastor do. And after being there a couple of years, I thought, you know, I won't be in Korea forever, even though it was a wonderful experience. I thought, you know, when I go back home, It'd be really helpful if I was ordained. That would just open up doors. So when I was in Korea, I decided to seek ordination for my future, for when I would return to Canada. So I contacted uh, Harry Gardner uh, and said, I'd like to be examined by the ordination council. And he said, great, we'll see what we can do to make it happen. And then I said, I said I've got a teaching contract, so I need to come back. He said, oh, hmm, that could be a problem if you're not staying in Canada, because we ordain people to ministry in Canada. He said, well, let me look into this. He said, Tyler, he says, I think we can ordain you to missionary service because that's what you're doing in the Korean church. Because I was doing English Bible studies, evangelism. So when I went before the ordination council, 
when Dr. McRae introduced me, he said, Shirley, you're unique in a couple ways. One is you'll be the first person in our convention ordained to missionary service. And secondly, he said, you're the only candidate we have of no fixed address. <laughs> I think it made it easier for me to pass. I remember one person in particular asked me several questions and I, and my answer, because I could say, well, I'm, 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 I'm going back to Korea or I'm going into missionary service seemed to make his questions irrelevant. I don't know if people feel felt threatened when a female candidate came forward or what, but this guy didn't seem to feel so threatened because I wasn't going to, going to be pastoring a church in Atlantic Canada. Yeah. So uh, appeared before the ordination council in 97, uh, wasn't ordained until 98. As far as the ordination service, there's just something really Really profound, especially with the laying on of hands and people coming together, just just affirm your gifts. And I remember afterwards, every family came and it was just wonderful. And I remember standing in the gym where the reception was and I turned to my sister and I said, this is just like a wedding. She looked at me and said, well, there's something missing here. Uh, so she didn't quite agree, but it's the closest thing I ever had. Two women in the congregation went together on a gift for me and it was a portable communion set. I have used that communion set so many times in hospitals, uh, giving communion to dying people. I left, I left Korea because I felt it's time to be closer to my parents. I could have stayed in Korea a long time. Came back to Canada in 2007, came back to the Halifax area, and I attended Stephen's Road Baptist Church, waiting for God to open some doors because I really didn't want to be a senior pastor. I wanted a position where I could focus on missions, ministry to singles, and small groups. I thought that would be a perfect position for me. So while I was attending this church and looking for opportunities, the senior pastor of this church resigned. But months went by before this church even asked me to consider uh, being a candidate. And so I said, look, I, I will be interim pastor while you look for somebody, but I'm not interested in being a senior pastor. And I knew because this was an interim position, I could preach some really hard sermons about the need to change because this church was so traditional in so many ways. And I thought, I've got nothing to lose. I mean, if they, if they fire me, I'm just here temporarily. Well, as I ministered to the congregation and as people responded, especially one charter member who would say, Shirley, we really, we really needed that sermon. My heart began to change. And then I finally went to the, the head of the search committee say, um, I would like to put my name forward to be considered in your interviews. Well, then we had to tell the church, um, we're going to have a church meeting and we're going to vote on a candidate. Well, the church was in, in an uproar. They said, we haven't even heard that person preach. They said, we don't know who, who we're going to be voting on and, and what are the deacons doing? And all I could say was, you need to trust the deacons. Like, just go to the meeting. So they kind of laughed and they got to the meeting and found out that it was me that they're voting on. And I did tell the search committee that it had to be 100% in agreement. Um, and they all agreed. And so I became the, the senior pastor. But I knew not everybody agreed with women pastors. And there was one dear lady in that congregation. I was often in her home. Uh, she would feed me, just a, a godly woman. And I heard that she was at the meeting. And I heard that there was a 100% vote in favor. So a couple of days later, I went to her house and I said, I know that you don't agree with women pastors, but the church voted me in. And she said, Shirley, I'm, I'm a member of this church. So what's good for the church, I vote for. Uh, how unbaptist. 
like I have not met many Baptists who vote according to what's good for the, the body and to maintain the unity of the body. So many Baptists in my experience, you know, they want to express their own opinion and they cause a lot of division. And I had so much respect for this woman and she continued to be very, very, very supportive. I remember talking to um, the chairman of the deacons board and we were working on the, the agenda for the deacons meeting. And I, I, was, I was complaining that the church was you know, so resistant to change and he, he blinked two or three times and one eyebrow went up. I said, why are you reacting that way? He said, we have a female senior pastor. And I'd gotten so comfortable in that church that I kind of forgot how unique that was, that this was quite an exceptional church. But one of my highlights at sen- as senior pastor was supervising, if I can use that word, supervising Dr. Joyce Ross. She was ordained when she was 75. So, so when I say supervise, um, I was supervising a woman much older with much more life experience. But she was in a situation where she wanted to go for ordination. But when it came time for her supervised, her year of supervised, there wasn't any black church that where the, where the pastor was able to supervise her because for, for different reasons. Some were you know, doing their master's or doctorate or this sort of thing. And I just happened to meet her and asked, asked her what she was doing. And she said, I'm looking for a place to do my supervised education. So this is an older Black woman. Uh, and, and there are Black communities. We got together for things like World Day Prayer, um, but we didn't do a lot of things together. And she said, you know, I need to, I can't be ordained until I find a church where I can do my supervised. And I said, I'll ask our deacons. You could probably do it at our, at our church. And so I, I thought our deacons would be in favor but I, I didn't realize the impact that she would make. She's a dignified lady. And she always wore a matching hat with her outfit. And she had so much joy and so much wisdom. And people loved to hear her pray. And for a whole year, we had her at our church. And so we would go on visits together. And she would preach and take participate in our church. And like I would not have been able to go into a Black church and do as well as she did in our church. And the people loved her. Actually, when she was interviewed at the ordination council, one man put his hand up and said, Dr. Ross, may I ask you a question? Would you be our pastor? Uh, Just a delightful woman. So watching my church go through the experience of supervising a woman who is older from a different culture and different life experiences that was that was a highlight for all of us. We were just so proud of her, and she, and she connected so well with our congregation that was at that time probably a hundred percent white. So that was pretty special. It's really hard to leave that church. I was there from two thousand and seven to twenty fifteen. That I decided to to leave that church when seeing that my parents needed a little more support from me. So I uh, moved home to Woodstock. So I'm not working full time, but I am doing pulpit supply every Sunday. There are times when I felt really lonely. Like ministry is really tough and it's really hard to be balanced. and It's hard to sift through criticism um, and vision and perspective when you're by yourself. Couples who work effectively in ministry, like like even to have someone help carry the stuff from the trunk into the church is, is a help as well as have someone say, you know, you're overreacting. I had a couple 
couples who were really, really good. Like this one couple, they would invite me. I had to do youth group for a while on Friday nights, and they would invite me out to their house for supper on Friday night. And I'd complain about the youth group. I didn't want to go to youth group. Then they checked the watch. Okay, surely time for youth group. <laughs> so they, they knew enough to let me spout off my frustration and not be afraid that I was going to quit. So I had some good married friends. Um, but I think it's really hard to do ministry alone. So this one uh, single woman who's a really good friend, um, we started coffee time after church so that people always had some place to go right after church if they wanted to connect. And then we started what we called lunch bunch. And that was anyone after coffee time who wanted to go and eat together, this friend would have booked a restaurant. And so I made that a priority because that way I connected with people over food after the service. And it was great for visitors. Widows would come, couples would come who would say, look, we didn't take anything out of the freezer. So we're going to go to, to lunch bunch. So that was really helpful. And what I, what I learned in ministry was the importance of team ministry. So especially where I could not consider myself a team and being single, I really learned to depend on other people. The wisdom of the body. I just think we should be, we need to strengthen our relationships, seeking wisdom of people outside of ourselves. Like the deacons, I would tell the deacons, there are more of you than there are of me. So you are my ears. So listen to the congregation and, and, and you need to let me know uh, the things that I need to hear. And like, I really value their feedback. And if I came up with a great idea and the deacon said, hmm, that's not, that's not such a great idea. I trusted them. I, I thought it was really foolish to, to go against your deacons. I think that protected me from making a lot of mistakes. So I just learned that there is wisdom in the body. So listen to one another. I, I think I wish every church could have a male and female in pastoral leadership, whether they were a married couple or, or not. There's really There's not just strength in numbers, but God created us male and female. And to me, the, the best combination is to do ministry, male and female. So at this Beachwood Baptist Church, where I was influenced so much as a young person, that would have been not in favor of women ministers. Two or three years ago, uh, they called me and asked me if I would fill in because they needed pulpit supply for one Sunday. And I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. So before we hung up, I said, you do know I'm a woman. He said, yeah, 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 I do know. And it, it was a great experience because I thought, I mean, people do change. You know, we need to give people credit for that. Uh, but I thought, you know, they might not ever ask me back again. But I thought, this is a good chance for me just to say thank you, church, because when I was a teenager, you were there. It gave me a really good grounding. When you open your doors to young people, you just never know the impact you're going to have on them. So I was very well received. So people do change. And I often look back and think, wow, God, you've, you've, really, you've really taken me on this incredible journey of in this community of 350 people uh, to you know, being in this big Korean church and a senior pastor. I would never have dreamt that even possible. I did inspire one person. I remember after a baptism service at our church, there was this little girl, elementary age, who after the baptism service, she said, wow, when I grew up, I want to be a baptizer. So you just, you just never know. <laughs> Thank you to Shirley for sharing your story with this project. If you've been enjoying Called to Serve, please rate and review our podcast. 
You can find Call to Serve on Facebook and Instagram, and you can learn more about the project at calledtoserve.ca. Thanks for listening and see you next week.